Amen. Thank you, Darren. Made me go back in my mind when I was a 24-year-old man and from the third pew on that side of the auditorium, I stopped trusting my own self and my religion and called on Christ. Man, appreciate it. Go ahead and get in your Bible if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We have on Sunday nights for some time been working through a series on Bible doctrine, um, making sure we understand what we believe and teach here and why we do so. Believers, of course, begin by first learning what the Bible teaches to be sound doctrine, and then those who want to be wiser and more mature in their faith, they also learn why. Well, why do I believe why, what I believe? Why do we do what we do? Sound doctrine, of course, is the key to our spiritual stability, and you find people or places that do not emphasize doctrine, and I'll show you a bunch of unstable people. Doctrine gives us stability. That is why uh, the Scripture exhorts us to give attendance, give attention to doctrine, tells us to take heed to doctrine. It tells us that we should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And we have now for several months been working through different issues. We spent four weeks most recently talking about what a biblical church is and what the focus of a church should be. We talked about what each believer should think about the church and how it should affect our heart and our life. And then last week we talked about how each local assembly of believers, a church, uh, should be administrated and how it should be led. We focused on the order that God is looking for in each of his churches. We talked about uh, the order and the way the church is led. We talked about order and the basic philosophy of leadership. We talked about order and our understanding of where the authority God established in the church starts and where it stops in the lives of his people. Uh, by the way, I thank God for the order established here at Bible Baptist Church, an order that God has blessed now for 16 and a half years. And I pray that God will give us grace to always have the right balance between prayerful planning and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit so that we, as a church, could do things decently and in order. Now, many of you know there are two ordinances that God established for His churches. Both are symbolic. Uh, both are important. The first of those ordinances, of course, is baptism. In fact, we were privileged to uh, see that ordinance tonight. We spent a Sunday night message probably about six or seven weeks ago uh, talking about what the Scriptures teach about what baptism is and what it's supposed to mean and when it is supposed to occur. And the second of those ordinances is the Lord's Supper. In fact, uh, we shared the Lord's Supper earlier tonight, which brings up some good questions. What is the Lord's Supper? How important is the Lord's Supper? Uh, why should I participate in the Lord's Supper? How often should I take the Lord's Supper? Why do we here at Bible Baptist Church only allow members of Bible Baptist Church to take the Lord's Supper? Those are all good questions. Uh, many years ago, when I, when I used to listen to uh, what they call Christian radio, uh, I heard a preacher talking about uh, the best celebration of the Lord's Supper he ever had, according to him, was with coconut juice and Ritz crackers. Uh, is that the Lord's Supper as Christ intended it to be celebrated? 
Uh, many years ago when I was in college, uh, I was not saved. I uh, did not know Christ as Savior. I was pledging a fraternity, and at the end of that pledge program, they have what they call H-E-L-L week. And uh, during that, one of the things that happened on our last night, one of the brothers uh, was there where we were all trying to sleep, and he was drunk, and he was beating on a pan with a wooden spoon all night long to try to keep us from sleeping. And because the next morning was Sunday morning, uh, he got everybody up, put us all in a room, and then he got out of his guitar, uh, sang some Christian song, uh, broke out a bottle of wine, and then he served what he called Lord's Supper. Uh, even as an unsaved person, I thought to myself, you hypocrite, I'm not doing that. Is that what Lord's Supper is intended to be? Now, there are three areas where if you study history, uh, biblical forefathers and mothers, they were persecuted most for three things. The first of those was, are the scriptures or something else the final authority? Is the Bible the final authority or a government? Is the Bible the final authority or the Roman Catholic Church or the Pope? What is the final authority? Millions and millions of people died over that issue. The second issue over which our forefathers were suffered and were persecuted and died also was, what is the proper mode and meaning of baptism? Uh, there have literally been millions of people who have suffered and been persecuted for the fact that biblical baptism is only by immersion as a symbol after someone receives Christ as Savior. In fact, even in the early years of America, you can study the history of Baptists in America and you will find that some of our Baptist forefathers were jailed and whipped in America for their view on baptism. The third area where millions of people, our forefathers and foremothers suffered for were, what are the proper elements of the Lord's Supper? What does it mean when you take it? You know, there have been a lot of people who have suffered, had their goods confiscated, and even died refusing to say that the elements of the Lord's Supper are literally the body and blood of Christ. You see, the elements and the meaning of the Lord's Supper mattered greatly to them, and as I said, many suffered and died for this doctrine. And so, I think it's important that you and I understand what the Scriptures teach about this doctrine, or you and I might just take this too lightly. You would stand tonight in honor of God's Word if you're able to stand. What I'm going to talk about tonight is very practical. Uh, tonight, I'm aiming at your head, not, not your heart. Uh, I know what I'm going to talk about tonight to many of you is familiar turf, and I think it's good at times just to review. And for those with, for whom this is not familiar, it would be just good to learn this. And we're just tonight, the title of my thought is the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we begin in verse 17. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, 
For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Thank you. you might be seated. Now for many of you, you're probably thinking, wow, that's pretty familiar territory. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, we read verses uh, 23 to uh, verse 30 every time. Uh, which means over the course of 16 and a half years, uh, four times a year, uh, if you've been around for a long time, you've heard this, that section of the scripture a lot. Uh, in the church of Corinth, there were several things that were messed up. Uh, a church having issues that displeases Christ shouldn't shock anyone. Listen, biblical churches have always had a spiritual adversary. B healthy biblical churches have never been filled only with spiritual people. In fact, a healthy biblical church doesn't only have spiritually mature people. A healthy biblical church has some mature people, it has some somewhat mature people, it has some immature people, and it has some people who are really just trying to help and reach, and they're in the right place. This isn't the place to come when you have it all together. This is a place where people come who want to be better than they are now. Now, of all the New Testament churches and Christians, we should not imitate the church of Corinth at the time of this first letter would be the top of the list. Paul spends the biggest part of his first epistle to them correcting things in the church that needed correction. There were problems with different factions in the church enamored with the personality of different gifted prominent leaders. There was a problem with gross immorality that was not only well-known among the members, but well-known in the community, and the church just overlooked it. There was problems in the church with misusing spiritual gifts, most particularly the spiritual gifts of prophecy and tongues. There was also the problem here that we just read about. There was a problem with the way they handled the Lord's Supper. And we are reminded again, as we are regularly throughout the New Testament, that not everything that goes on in a place called the church is doing something that pleases the Lord. God determines what pleases Him, and Christian people and the church of Corinth were not pleasing God at this particular time on that issue. I mean, understand, the real measure of truth is not, is someone else doing it? 
The real measure of whether someone else is, whether something is true is, is it consistent with the scripture? Does it match the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and faithful disciples who believed on him that we read about in the Bible? Uh, Paul, as Christ's representative, he did not have any praise for these believers there in this issue in verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. By what, what, what a statement. Uh, when they assembled for Lord's Supper, the believers were actually worse off when they left than when they came. I sure don't want us to be that kind of a church. I believe that when a church is doing what it ought to be doing, that every believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is better when they leave than when they came. Now, that might be imperceptibly different to us, but I believe that God makes his people better assembling with his people. Uh, believers there, they seem to have bringing, been bringing their own food for dinner prior to Lord's Supper. Uh, and that's what we read about in verses 21 and 22. He, he says, when you, verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. And drunken in that context is contrasted with hungry. And so it's not talking about being uh, drunken with alcohol. It's talking about being drunken with food. So some people, after you bring your supper, were hungry, and, and some are stuffed. In verse 22, he says, what? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I, I praise you not. See, so see, what was going on is they would attach a church dinner where everybody brought their food before having Lord's Supper. And people in the congregation who had more money and more means, they would bring a lot of food and fancy food, and they would just gorge themselves. And other people who didn't have money and they were poor, they would bring what they had, but they, instead of gorging themselves on this fancy food, they would be hungry. And what this was doing is, instead of this bringing them together for good, it was dividing them as they were envious over what some had and others did not have. And the way they handled the Lord's Supper did not please Christ. The Lord's Supper is not about eating food or getting nourishment. Uh, Paul is going to take this situation that was not right and not pleasing to Christ, and he is going to review with them what he had already taught them when he was there in Corinth and started the church. Now, according to Bishop Usher's chronology, by the time of this letter, this church was about five years old. Paul spent 18 months there personally. And so by the time of this letter, he had been gone about three and a half years. Now, lest we become overly critical of these Corinthian believers, we understand that at this time, at most, they would have had some of the New Testament written. At most, they might not have had any yet. And understand that in that congregation, there would have been no one who'd been a believer more than five years. And so you can imagine with no full written New Testament and no believer any more than someone who'd been saved five years, you can see how the church could easily 
chase down some of these rabbit trails that they were chasing down and not please Christ with what they did when they assembled. And so to remedy the problem, Paul is going to go back to the basics of what Jesus personally taught him that he passed on to them when he was with them before. And in doing so, you and I get the clearest place in the New Testament to understand what the Lord's Supper is about, what it meant, and how it should be applied to us as Christian people. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record something of the event we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, But understand that that last night, Jesus and his disciples, they didn't only have the Last Supper, uh, they also shared the Passover meal. And so when you're reading the account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, when you understand that they did the Passover meal together and he started the Lord's Supper, some of the stuff is hard to sort out as, okay, this was part of the Lord's Supper, this was part of the Passover. It's hard to sort out. And what God did is he wrote it on purpose like that and then he cleared up any questions someone might have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul begins by reminding them that what he teaches them about the Lord's Supper He heard from Christ himself in verse 23. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Uh, Paul was not in the upper room with the other 12 apostles that night. Now, you could make some argument as as to whether all 12 apostles took Lord's Supper or only 11 because Judas had already left and, and... I don't know which one is true. Uh, I tend to personally think he was there. But if you differ from that, I I don't think uh, it matters. We'll find out uh, someday. Uh, But Paul was not there. Uh, And so he wasn't an eyewitness. And he didn't hear about this from Peter or John or James or any of the other apostles. What he said and taught on this issue, he taught and had learned from Jesus himself. All the apostles learned about the Lord's Supper directly from Jesus. As far as we know, every other human being learned about it from an apostle. But Paul, like the other apostles, learned about it from Christ. Christ started this memorial supper on the last night, and he and he alone have the right to determine what it is and what it is not. But understand when I say this, because Jesus himself was there. He was standing in their midst. It was before his crucifixion. His blood was still in his arteries and veins. His body was still there, unbroken and unmarred, that everything he says that night has to be taken in the context of the fact that he was standing right there. The Lord's Supper did not originate with the apostles or early church. It was started by Jesus himself. Notice, secondly, Paul reminds them there are two elements involved in the Lord's Supper. Notice in verse, the second half of verse 23, it says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So notice the first element from the verse, end of 23 is bread. Notice in verse 25, and it's after the same manner. Also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Notice the second element in verse 25 is the cup. There are two elements, bread 
in the cup. Now, though we believe the Bible to be literally true, any reasonable person understands that there is also symbolic language in the Bible. When the plain sense of the Scripture makes common sense, we seek no other sense. That's exactly how Jesus and Peter and James and John handled the Old Testament. That's how we handle the New Testament. And so when Jesus described the bread saying, this is my body, it is obvious that he's speaking symbolically. In fact, if that were not enough, in verse 26, it says, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. Show, to portray, to dramatize, not to redo. In fact, keep your hand there. Go in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9. There are large segments of Christianity, or what is called Christianity, that take the elements of the Lord's Supper as literally being his body and literally being his blood. So in their theology, when they take Lord's Supper, they are literally eating the body of Jesus and literally drinking his blood. That is contrary to the Scripture. Uh, notice what Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 says, For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once... In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this a judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Christ only needed to suffer once. He is not re-crucified every time somebody waves their hand and turns, uh, allegedly, this bread into his body. That is silliness, is contrary to the Scripture, and it is very contrary to the fact that Christ need not suffer again for our sins. With him standing there, it is obvious he is not speaking literally. In fact, since you're in Hebrews, go back a few pages, because when we think about what the bread is supposed to be, notice in Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so when we take the bread that pictures his body, it is a picturing a sinless Savior. And... <laughs> There is no way there should be any leaven in the bread. If you uh, take our elements that one of our deacons, I think Brother Ron, him and Vanessa cook it up every time, it's made uh, without leaven. In the Bible, leaven is a picture of hypocrisy. If you take notes, write down Luke 12, 1. Leaven is a picture of false doctrine. Again, if you take notes, write down Matthew 16, 11, and 12. If leaven is a picture of hypocrisy and false doctrine, it has no place in picturing the sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first element is unleavened bread. The second element we read about is the cup. 
we read about it, and you can go back to 1 Corinthians 11, we read about it in verse 25 of uh, that chapter. After the same manner, also, he took the cup. Now, this cup is called also the fruit of the vine in Matthew 26, 29. Hear me when I say it is never even one time in Scripture called wine. Never. Never. Uh, and whenever we do read wine in the Bible, we have to pay attention to the context because sometimes wine is unfermented wine and other times it is fermented wine. Unfermented wine we would call grape juice. Fermented wine is what we in America normally would consider to be wine. And this obviously is another example of symbolic language because Jesus says uh, this cup is a New Testament in my blood. And listen, his blood was in his veins and arteries. He was speaking symbolically about this cup, this fruit of the vine. And uh, again, in verse 26, it says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do shew the Lord's death till he come. It is something that is a dramatization. It is a portrayal. It is a show. It is not a reliving of. Keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 17. Most sensible people kind of have an aversion to drinking blood. I realize there are some cultures that do so, and there are some um, foods that people make that a part of the recipe might be duck blood or, or things like that. Uh, whether you like it or not, the Scripture prohibits eating and drinking blood. So it's a family recipe. Take it up with God. I, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I'll even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Listen, blood in the Bible is one of the most sacred pictures. It's why Jewish people still to this day have everything that is kosher. There is a special standard and a way that some rabbi approves of the blood being removed from any meat that they eat. It all goes back to Leviticus chapter 17. By the way, this prohibition against drinking or eating blood, it's why if you study anything about Satanism, one of the things that they regularly do is drink blood or blood uh, mixed with wine. By the way, you study tribal religions that are overtly demonic, you will almost always find in some way they're drinking or eating blood. Listen, this is a huge deal. Blood in the Bible is something sacred because the blood, and you can go back to 1 Corinthians 11, the blood of every one of those goats and every one of those oxen and every one of those sheep that was sacrificed to the Lord was a picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God said, to, hey, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Uh, don't eat it, don't drink it. It's something special and sacred. Now, 
Jesus' blood cannot be pictured by fermented wine. Uh, fermentation, by nature, all it is is the natural process of decay. And so, if fermented wine is decayed grape juice, there's no way that decayed grape juice pictures the sinless blood of the Son of God. And so that's why the Bible is always careful to call what we have at Lord's Supper the cup or the fruit of the vine. That's why here at Bible Baptist Church, you'll get a little piece of unleavened bread and you'll get a little cup of unfermented grape juice because they picture the sinless body and the sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when we took Lord's Supper a little while ago, those issues doctrinally are a lot bigger than most people take them. Not only is the elements sub symbolic, number three, the Lord's Supper is a special time of remembrance. Verse 24 and 25 both close that way, and we talked about that briefly at the Lord's Supper tonight. He said in the end of verse 24, this do in remembrance of me. In the end of verse 25, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And we focus on that. Listen, it's easy to forget what it was like to be lost in your sins. I mean, for me, that was 38 years ago. I have to go back and purposely remember it. It's easy to forget the terrible suffering that Jesus Christ endured for your sins and mine. It's easy to forget the foundational truths of our faith. And God put that in our schedule to remind us to make sure we always remember Him and what He did for us. Number four, the Lord's Supper is a time of special self-examination. Verse 27 through 29, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Notice that, that's an unworthy manner. No one is worthy. Unworthily is how you do something. Eat this bread or drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, an unworthy manner, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You know, it would be easy to be fearful of taking the Lord's Supper after this solemn warning. But I, I want to remind you tonight, Christ never complicates things that bless us. This is not given so that Christian people would be afraid to take the Lord's Supper. I, I don't know why, about 40% of our church membership shows up for Lord's Supper. Uh, I don't know where the other 60% are. Uh, and frank, quite frankly, I'm not trying to chase them down. Um, I do know this, in order to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, we must understand what the elements mean and we must examine ourselves. Examine our attitudes, our behavior, our words, our priorities. Listen, that's very different than examining others. And well, what are they doing here? Listen, why don't you mind your own beeswax? Listen, every healthy walk of faith is a constant process of self-evaluation and exposure to the light of the Scriptures and the light of Christ. Listen, none of us will ever be able to stay close to Christ without regular confession of our sins 
and regularly receiving His gracious forgiveness, it's a part of life. Listen, all of us get frustrated at times. If you're here and you're somebody who's tried to be a serious-minded Christian, sometimes you'll get frustrated because there's always something to work on in your life. And you look out at the world around us who, by and large, mostly don't care what's in their life. And you look around at a sizable percentage of the part of America that calls itself Christian, and they don't see that, seem to be that concerned about their life. Sometimes you and I get a little frustrated because we feel like, man, there's always something I'm working on. Every time I come to church, there's something, okay, I need to fix that. All right, and then I come back, and now I need to fix that. But listen, staying close to Christ is a constant process of self-evaluation and putting yourself in the light of Christ. And we fall short. So we seek His forgiveness, and we move on. Uh, listen, so, some, some of you in here, by nature, you, you're a sensitive person. And you just let your failures at times overwhelm you. And you need to recognize and just receive the grace and mercy of Christ and understand that, hey, you have His righteousness. And others here, you're not sensitive at all. And there's something wrong because God's Spirit, He's always working on something in our life. And the Lord's Supper is a time to examine ourselves. Uh, I, I, like I say, I don't know why more of God's people don't show up for it, but I, I want to tell you this. If there is a, a, such a big deal on this, understand, if you celebrate it right, which is not complicated, um, accept and believe what the elements are, examine yourself, and take it in a worthy manner in, in doing so. Listen, God wants to bless you. I mean, God, God doesn't, he, listen, he, he, what parent is purposely making rules to hurt their kids? None. Listen, if God says we need to examine ourselves, listen, if you and I take this well and we examine ourselves and we take these elements like they're supposed to be, listen, there's a blessing associated with it. It's a special time. And God takes serious offense to misusing it. And that's what he says in verses 29 or 30. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And notice, because of the Corinthian misuse, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That's a big deal. That's all linked to this same subject. Christ was not pleased with the way they were handling it. Paul took them back to the beginning and he warns them. He says, because you're doing this in an unworthy manner, some of you are weaker than you would need to be and some of you are more sickly than you need to be and some of you have even, there have been people who have died because of the way they handled this. Listen, God doesn't do things like that to threaten us because he wants to hurt us. He's doing things like that because he wants to bless us. He wants us just to handle this the way we're supposed to so we can be blessed. Listen, with that kind of clear judgment, don't tell me it doesn't matter if you believe the Lord's Supper is symbolic or literally His body and blood. Listen, if that is linked to this, 
Don't, don't tell me it doesn't matter if your attitude is bad or if you're living in willful rebellion against Christ. Don't tell me it doesn't matter if you have crackers and coconut milk as opposed to unfermented uh, fruit of the vine and uh, unleavened bread. Don't tell me that yeah, the best one you ever had was coconut uh, ju juice and, and, and crackers. Silliness. No, don't tell me it doesn't matter if you just stay home and blow it off. Listen, I want to, as a Christian, I want in my life everything that Christ wants to give me because everything He wants to give me in my life is somehow good for me, good for my home, good for this life, good for eternity, and I don't want to miss it. Which gets us to number six, the Scriptures are not specific regarding the frequency with which we have Lord's Supper. Verse 26, for as often as you eat, Listen, what the Lord's Supper is, is a key Bible doctrine. How often a believer takes it or church offers it is not doctrine. This would have been the perfect place for Paul, who was setting the record straight, to tell them, hey, do it this often. Now, now I know of churches that do it every day. I know some who do it every week. I know some who do it every month. Well, I know some who do it every three months. Some who do it every four months. Some who do it every six months. Some who do it once a year. The Bible doesn't say. Now, here at Bible Baptist Church, we do it four times a year. You say, why? Because 16 and a half years ago, when we started the church, I decided that if God had four reminders for Old Testament Jews, it wouldn't hurt us to have four reminders. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, uh, Feast of the Tabernacles, and the Day of Atonement. If, I figured if God had four, we'll have four. By the way, that doesn't mean that someone who has more or less is better or worse. It is an arbitrary number that I picked. That's not doctrine. What the Lord's Supper is, is doctrine. The frequency with which we take it is arbitrary. Now, most Baptist churches that I'm aware of do it either two or four times a year, uh, which gets us to number seven. The scriptures seem to make celebrating this occasion with our own local church preferable. That way of viewing Lord's Supper is called closed communion. That, that's the way we handle uh, Lord's Supper here at Bible Baptist Church, which means Lord's Supper is closed to anyone other than a Bible Baptist Church member. You say, why do you do that? Uh, we do that because of the way Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, he instituted it with himself and the 12 apostles. Listen, Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, Martha, Mary of Bethany, Lazarus were not invited. They were key disciples. Cleopas, Peter's mother, John Mark, Matthias, who replaced Judas, and Barsabbas, they were also not invited. They were key disciples. Luke chapter 10 mentions 70 preachers that Christ sent out by twos to go ahead of where he was going. They were not invited. Believing women who ministered unto him from Galilee, like Joanna and Susanna, who are mentioned by the name, linked to his ministry. They were not invited. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible says there were 120 faithful disciples meeting in the upper room for prayer. And of those 120, only 11 
were invited to the Lord's Supper when Jesus started it. Jesus started it with the closest circle of his disciples. And so because of that, we celebrate it with only our members. We're not nasty about it. Uh, I do believe believers who willfully defy that eat and drink God's judgment into their life. Myself, our staff, our deacons, we've talked about this on several occasions. Well, what if somebody that's not a member wants it? Just let them take it. We're not smacking anybody's hands. Now listen, if they defy what we've asked, that's on them. I'm not going to eat and drink God's judgment in my life, becoming cynical or angry because I think someone is unworthy to take it. I'm not going to be like that. And you may disagree, but this part of a Bible Baptist position on Lord's Supper is something that I believe can vary from church to church and not displease the Lord. Remember, what the Lord's Supper is is clear doctrine. What I'm talking about is an application of an example. That's not clear doctrine. People who object to our position, most often they would say something like, well, even if Paul was in town, he couldn't have Lord's Supper with you. Now, Paul was likely a member of the church in Antioch. We don't know if he, uh, excuse me just a second. By the way, Duke's going to have a good basketball team this year. I'm preaching the Bible, y'all. Listen, we're going to probably stink. Coach John Shire got all these big-name recruits, and he's going to choke. Where was I? People's biggest objection to uh, closed communion is that if the apostle Paul were in town, he, he couldn't uh, take the Lord's Supper with you. And like I started to say, Paul was likely a member of the church in Antioch. We are not told. He may have moved his membership to Corinth when he was there for 18 months. He may have moved his membership to Ephesus when he was there for three years. We're just not told. But if Paul was in town, what we would do is I would speak to our deacons, and we would say, hey, Paul's in town. Um, he's linked with our church. Uh, is it right for him to have Lord's Supper? They'd say, yeah. And then I'd come to you and I'd say, hey, uh, Paul's in town. Uh, is everybody okay with having Lord's Supper with them? Yeah, by the way, we've done that. On several occasions when we've had one of our missionaries, somebody linked to our church who was in town visiting, and I've gone to our deacons and then to our congregation, and they wanted to have Lord's Supper with us, and we let them. You say, why? Because closed communion isn't a Bible doctrine. It's an application from a Bible example. Now, for me personally, if I was traveling, I would not ask unless, uh, I would not ask as long as I had some opportunities to have Lord's Supper in my home church. But if I travel around all the time, like some evangelists do, who are never in their home church, I would probably ask because taking Lord's Supper is a command. Jesus said, this do. This do. So we purposely, by, by the way, if you differ with, with me and all that, we, we, we can differ on that and just love each other. 
Now, we purposely here, Bible Baptists, have Lord's Supper service at 5.30, and we go out of our way so that no one would ever show up and feel welcome. And by the way, whenever you show up at 5.30 to participate in this, it's not only good for us to participate in Lord's Supper, it's good for us just to simply say, hey, you know, Sunday night at 6.30, we want everybody to come who wants to hear. By the way, it's not easy to come back for an extra hour. Those of you with small children know what I'm talking about. The reason we do that is so that no one is ever put out who really wants to come here for our service. And the way we handle Lord's Supper, we make it much more difficult for people to eat and drink the judgment of God into their life. And that is a good thing. To be honest with you, I'm far more concerned about pleasing Christ than about what other Christians or churches say about our position on the Lord's Supper. And because of that, I'm not that concerned about what they have to say. You know what I'm concerned about? My attitude. Do, do I really come to the Lord's Supper with a humble heart? Do I really come remembering what Christ did? Do, do I really come and honestly pray with the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting? That's what I'm concerned about, and I think that ought to concern us most also. Not whether we're defined as being closed communion or close communion, which is only Baptist, or open communion, which is all Christians. Listen, this is the way we handle it here, and that's why. If you'd quietly stand.